This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. Heroes podcast with your host Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair and I am so honored and thrilled to be bringing you this interview today with my guest John Schmerzel. John Schmerzel has played in the highly influential and seminal band Brainiac, the band Enon. He currently plays in Caribou. He also scores film. He has his own bands. Uh, this is just a really, really interesting guy. And like all of my guests on this podcast, these are guys that are bringing something interesting to the world of guitar playing and doing something and making it their own, pushing the envelope, and they're probably not getting enough recognition for it, and that is criminal. So we get into all these things. We get to talk about his gear. We get to talk about his motivations and his influences, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy talking to him. I didn't know John prior to this, and uh, now I do, and I could be happier. So sit back and enjoy my interview with John Schmerzel. My guest, John Schmerzel. For those who don't know, hopefully, A, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. B, good, good thank you. Uh, B, uh, John has been in the band's Brainiac, Enon. He currently plays in Caribou. He has, he scores film and I think TV. Do you do TV as well? Mm, I haven't done any of that stuff in a while, actually, but I have, but I have. So that's okay. the important part. <laughs> and you have your own, your own bands uh, as well that let's, let's, let's talk about all of that. Um, but yeah, I guess let's talk about right now, the history of your guitar playing. We're going to get real nerdy and talk about all the stupid shit that, you know, uh, mm -hmm. people usually don't like to talk about that I get dorky about, you know, my whole point of this is to talk to guitar players that I think are doing interesting compelling things that maybe aren't on the covers of guitar magazines and you definitely fall in that category i've been a huge fan of 
your work for quite a long time and wanted to ask you a bunch of questions. So, oh, uh, yeah, no problem. So what's the history of your playing? Like, who, who are your guys? Who are your influences? I mean, I think early on, you know, like Sonic Youth was definitely a, a really big one. John, I would say like sort of in the in the early part of like guitar playing, you know, like John Fahey and yeah. sort of and Sonic Youth are, are kind of like the, the polar opposites of, or maybe they're not very polar opposite, but they're, you know, you sort of two different fields of sure. uh, playing, you know, and sort sure. of the things that I, I kind of admired the most and, you know, maybe... Uh, borrowed in my own way to, to try and create my own language. That's an interesting gap between John Fahey and Sonic Youth. I think the I think the narrative could be made. I think the bridge could be made. You know, between those two, as far as like genre pushing and thinking outside the box, and really just not sort of not listening to anyone or doing their own thing. I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe early on, you know, like you you and I both come from kind of a punk rock background, which I think sure. sort of uh, necessarily doesn't. Always, it depends on whether, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily end up branching out listening to other music, but that was sort of like the, the starting point. There was this band uh, that I got, the first band like, I, I kind of got like more obsessed with in a like sort of like, how are they doing this sort of thing? When I first started playing guitar was this band from Athens, Georgia called the Barbecue Killers. And, uh, you know, that, that was, I think the first record that I would just like put on, like how, like what's going on in these songs. And like, just, I would like sit down and like basically play against their record comely from like beginning to, to finish. Right. And that was sort of like my first like education on sort of like, I'm not, you know, they had like power chords and stuff in it, but they were really also kind of creating their own weird, like Southern approach to like, punk music there was like you know droning open strings and right. you know and like just like frag chord fragments and stuff like that and 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 i just sort of like kind of picked through that to see what they were doing and and uh and the drums too actually i i was trying to when i was in high school i bought like my neighbor's drum kit in a garage sale and obsessively try to try to learn how to play drums and right. so i was like playing that record back to back on drums and guitar like kind of obsessively right. like for you know a year or two there in high school i gotta admit you stumped me i've never heard of that band but now i i really want to check that out uh, you i know, mean if you you know the uh the documentary athens georgia inside out by chance I know of, I haven't seen it. And it's something that's been recommended to me and that I've had written down because I'm such a fan of, of, you know, outsider music that was made in the South. Cause I'm from Texas mm. and it's, you, you're almost like, you know, you're all, you almost have 10 steps ahead of you that you need to sort of to catch up to anybody on the coast. So if, if somebody's making, you know, their, their own statement and they're from the South, I am all automatically interested in that. Yeah, I mean, I felt that same way in the Midwest, uh, oh, for sure. in Ohio, you know, it's like you sort of like everyone's sort of looking to the coasts for information and culture. And so anytime, yeah, any, anytime anyone was sort of like already kind of self-formed and doing things in the Midwest, it was, it was very exciting to see that totally. happening locally. The chips were stacked against us, you know? We didn't have the benefit of being from either coast. So we didn't already have the sort of groundwork laid out for us. Like, oh, you're from the West Coast? Here is SST Records, you know? Or, oh, you're from right, New York? Right. Here's here's what's going on at, at, at CBGB's that you can align yourself with. Here is your scene. Go for it. Uh, go and do likewise. And we didn't have that benefit, you know, being in the Midwest or, or South or Tech, you know, whatever. Um, well, that that's really interesting, you know. You know, and it, it doesn't. From what I have taken away from your guitar playing, I don't know if if I'm too far off. And I hear things like uh, Adrian Ballou and Robert Fripp, and it's definitely with the Enon stuff. I hear I hear fragments of that. I don't know if I'm right or if I'm wrong. There. Oh, that's cool. I got I got into Fripp a little more later. I, one thing I'm not as a guitar player is dexterous. I don't really do a lot of like I've never been that interested in guitar solos. And sure. so I never, I never went through like running myself through like the relay races to become really good at playing like fast runs. And I might so every once in a while I've incorporated like, you know, maybe a run into something or I like I did later eventually find myself doing sort of like quasi guitar solos, but I, but 
almost begrudgingly. I felt like, all right, like this is happening in the song, but I really don't, I, I don't feel like one, it's, it's a great interest of mine. And, uh, and, and because of that, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at it either. <laughs> Cause I never well, pursued it really to, to sort of make it a part of my thing. But I kind of think about Fripp in, in two senses, you know, like he's, he's obviously a very accomplished dexterous guitar player, but I, th- I think the things that I like about his playing are, uh, little weird scales and also just kind of the more re- repetition, the stuff that he does that's more like really hypnotic. But yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, I think early on when I, when I got interested, I, I didn't, I knew, I knew of Fripp and King Crimson and all that stuff, but I was kind of more engaged, like in the early years of high school, it was like, you know, very, very far flung, like, you know, punk rock, Sonic Youth, John Fahey, like Michael Hedges, you know, like, yeah. like the kind yeah. of guitar stuff that's like, I, I was, I was a bit into that new age stuff and getting into Indian music and getting into jazz and stuff like right. that. And so it was just like, my head was just kind of spinning with, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and that's uh, really interesting. That's yeah. really, I, 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 and John Fahey, that's a, that's a reference I wouldn't have gathered. And I think it's so interesting now. Like, you know, I, I, am talking like say the Enon song, uh, natural disasters, that guitar work in that I've always thought is just so amazing. and so cool. And did, did any of the art rock guys from the New York scene influence you? Like, um, you know, the sort of, uh, like, I don't know, Ardo Lindsay or somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess so, you know, you think about, I, I kind of think about it in layers, like high school was sort of like the beginning of, you know, when you're, you're figuring things out for yourself. And I went to college for a couple of years before I joined Brainiac. And it was a highly confusing time just musically because I, you know, you're going there for this thing. It was, it was great taking the like sort of general courses and I, I did enjoy it in that sense, but I was also really neurotic because I didn't, the more I went down the rabbit hole of being in college, the less I felt like connected to it as like a career path or whatever. Like I, the more I had to get into sort of core stuff, the more I realized like, you know, it just felt like a road to nowhere that I, that like, you know, and what I really wanted to be doing, of course, was, was being in a band. And, right. um, but around that time, yeah, I like that I was surrounded by, a lot of interesting people at the college I went to in the scene there. And, and yeah, kind of like I got a mixtape of all the, the early New York guys and, and a bunch of the, the current knitting factory people like in the early nineties and stuff like that. And so, yeah, uh, one of the guys actually old friend of mine now, he, he passed away right around the end of Brainiac as well. But, um, he really influenced me locally as a guitar player, not anyone that anyone knows, but you know, he was, he was sort of like hand feeding me a lot of those guys, uh, like Fred Frith and yeah. stuff like that. Like I would definitely say Fred Frith is, is like, I, I really admire him. Uh, I don't know if I can, I mean, I guess I'm influenced by him, but I think more just like in a sense, I, I have deep admiration for him for, you know, the kind of like the boundaries he broke and, you know, genres and right. stuff like that. Okay, so I wasn't too far off. I, I, I actually was going to reference Fred Frith as well. And only in the fact that, like, it seems like that same spirit of I, I'm going to take my influences and I'm going to do my thing with it, that, that's sort of imitable. You know, no one sounds like you, really, your guitar playing. You know, I think everything you do is wholly unto yourself. And I'm, I'm a huge fan, yeah. Oh, I, thank I, you. I, I, that's the most uh, admirable thing that I think any musician, you know, the true level of success is being able to, you know, sort of do the, you know, like not, not be able to see who's playing and go, Oh, that's so-and-so. I don't think I've ever achieved that, you know, and I've always wanted to aspire to that. And and you definitely have. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. Well, good. I think the other thing about it is, uh, you know, sort of like the early, my early years in high school, just like kind of flailing about. And then, really more, maybe more precise flailing out in those early college years, sort of like a a guy I was telling you about, he and I would get together and, you know, besides like listen to, to all the, you know, music of the time, like the early knitting factory scene and stuff like that. uh, We would, I bought, I was buying like cheap thrift store guitars all the time and so we would just like set up guitars around the room as like prepared guitars and different tunings and like play them with sticks and 
you know, I could get really wild with him. He was like, you know, he was really out there as a guitar player, but also very accomplished. So I felt it was like a way that, you know, I felt comfortable being like free to do whatever with him in a real wild way, but also he could be very technically precise. Um, You know, he was, he was, he was already very, very accomplished. And so it was kind of like an interesting way to combine like these skill sets. And then uh, when I joined Brainiac, I really feel like I was sort of like trying to teach myself by ear how to manipulate a guitar, like not, you know, not being boxed into like the positions and the um, stuff of standard tuning. I, I wanted to pick up a guitar and not really be that conscious of like the tuning itself. Just sort of like when I put my fingers down, you know, when you're on a piano, it's like you, the more you play a piano, it's, it's, it's static. And so you can kind of, you can continue this like sort of relationship of, of these positions. But like, I was just literally trying to teach my, my ear how to, to move about on the fly. And, right. and, you know, I mean, I think that was, that, that was uh, valuable. But it wasn't until I joined Brainiac that, like, you know, Tim, I, I, I guess I'm saying, like, Tim was a, a, a really fundamental part of giving me structure because he already was working within, like, three pretty specific alternate tunings that had variations. And so all of a sudden I, like, joined this thing and there was, like, a blueprint, a framework to work within, and that was very helpful because otherwise I probably would have, like, continue to work in my kind of like chaotic you know learning 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 by tone and and stuff like that and not and not being able to just sort of thrive and develop techniques within certain tunings which i think is is very important you know right and how important is that you know in those formidable years to sort of be learning from somebody you 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 respect and they're going you know what Maybe not so much like Ornette Coleman, where it's like there is no key, there is no time signature, there is no you know tune, but mm-hmm. but to go you know just express yourself. Don't worry about how it sounds. Just pick up that guitar, whatever it's tuned. Just make make music. Just go. Uh, that is. Oh I, yeah. I, I'm I'm envious of that. I uh, that that would have been amazing. I mean, I think the other thing for me, you know, my friend Brandon, I was explaining the the one from college who who passed away. He, you know, he was in a similar way you know it was sort of like you you can yeah you can do these you can do these things but then but like but feel free to go way out there and with with right. tim he was you know his dad was an accomplished jazz musician he, and and so was he and he played with his dad in his jazz band and so wow. like the thing that i really enjoyed about about both of those relationships was like you know maybe i had a tentativeness to be like like I'm just going to freak out or I'm, or I'm, or like, I, I want to do something very disciplined, you know, approaching it. And he, you know, a lot of times he would, Tim would encourage my mistakes, basically. Like we were in the studio and I remember like having a line and playing something and I'm like, ah, I, I met like the last note I wanted to be sharp. And he was like, oh man, it, it's great. It sounds like Chet Baker or something like that. And I was just That's like, great. you know, and so he sort of like, yeah, just the, the fluidness of, you know, he, he was very much into, you know, just moving forward and embracing, you know, those, those kinds of things. So wow. I thought that wow. was very helpful. That's inspirational. You know, it, I, it's funny we're having this conversation. I just had a conversation with uh, Brian Baker uh, for this podcast, uh, you know, from uh, minor threat and dad mm-hmm. and bad religion. And he said lately he's been pushing himself on stage to just, you know, you know, improv, improv his solos on stage and to just go like, okay, I know, I know this song is in A, and I know, you know, traditionally I will start the solo in A, but I'm not even. I'm just going to start the solo wherever, and I'm going to make that work. And as like a, as like you know, and then there might be clams, and it might be like, oh God, for a bit, but he's going to figure it out just to challenge himself. And I was like, man, that is, that's brave, and that sounds fun. But the problem is with YouTube now, you know, for me, I would go immediately to YouTube and go, oh, God damn it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, (laughs) I remember distinctively when, uh, in kind of in the middle of 
what even when when like the early era of you know the early 2000s and stuff was going up on youtube and uh the drummer in the band matt schultz he was like you know we were like going out to play a show or whatever i think he had seen something someone had posted and he was like yep like everyone's watching you gotta get it yeah gotta get it right the first time uh, kind of, i've sort of thought about that since but you know yeah it's yeah, you know I, the, the the lesson is just to not look you know <laughs> the lesson yeah, is just sometimes. to not look just well luckily look, you know. most of these things are not very high definition i mean you've seen it's taken That's a long true. time for the for the That's these true. smartphones to catch up and and uh you know have an app with a a, a little compressor built in for instance stuff yeah. like that, that yeah you know. and it's gonna sound great at some point you know um uh, so you pronounce that Enan, correct? I did. Okay, so 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 for me, I'm from Texas, so of course I say everything like a fucking hick, and I say Enon. So I've always said, well, you know, Enon. So you know, you're I, probably I'm, that's. I mean, over the course of the time that the band existed, I think that that's probably the most popular pronunciation, anyway. So don't feel don't feel like a hick, man. It's all right. mentioned it a tad bit but let's talk about your gear uh, i did notice you 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 use that uh specifically that green tiesco del rey was that always kind of your ideas to play sort of i guess what would be called pawn shop guitars sort of you know things like that i mean oddly the when i joined brainiac it was just kind of like like tyler the drummer and brainiac and i went to high school together we played in a band in high school and for whatever, I just think it was an aesthetic thing that like I was attracted to and happened to be happening at the same time in Brainiac. Um, but like the summer before I joined the band, I like worked two jobs over the summer to, to save up for the year. And I ended up spending, I mean, you know, an, an irresponsible amount of the money that I was supposed to be saving for that year on. But there was this amazing uh, guitar dealer guy that would go to all the trade shows and and then uh, bring him to his shop. And he always had new stuff every week. And, you know, like any of those good wheeler dealer guys, like he and I became fast friends. And so I felt like he was my friend. But he was always like, man, you should check this out. And like he would, get, you know, he would like give me deals on bundles and stuff. But I bought basically everything that I ended up using in the band that I joined like six months later. Like I didn't know I was buying these things and I don't, you know, I don't know if it was, uh, I'd like to say that I, I knew what I was doing uh, and I was buying those things for a reason, but bottom line was, yeah, I bought all the tools I needed to join Brainiac, like, you know, six months before they asked me to join the band. Um, but, but why that was like, I, I think it was purely aesthetic. I mean, there's no real, you know, it's not like, the the pickups in Tiesco Del Rey's necessarily sound good. A lot of them, honestly, like that was the first thing I replaced were the pickups in those. They were they they were still there physically. Like I had a right. Gibson humbucker put in the middle, but they were they, the guy took out the magnets and deactivated them, you know, so it was just going straight to the to that. And those guitars oh, didn't wow. necessarily. I had some. I, I had it painted green, and I had it. uh the guy that that did that uh, did an amazing job. He refretted it, so you know it took some work to get that guitar to be what I needed it to be. But pretty much all the other guitars that that Tim and I played were, I mean, you know, especially considering he he was actually a, a really good guitar player. Like why we were playing these impossible, like you know, Sears Roebuck like quickly manufactured guitars like not none of them played very well i don't i certainly right. don't think it it lent to better technique or you know but it was i, I will say it's it is part of the sound you know for sure. a long time i was very into uh dan electros and Silvertone guitars because of the lipstick pickups they have a very specific right. kind of sound that i think that really you know certain songs and brainiac really lent, lent to that you know so yeah 
Yeah. It is funny after playing those guitars, you know, and you play a character, like a guitar that is made to be played well, you know, like to make it easy for you to play like a go fast guitar, like a Ibanez or Jackson or something like that. And you're just like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's seriously like taking, you know, putting a weight on a bat and then taking it off or something. You know what I mean? Oh, like, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I've been, uh, honestly, I've been shooting myself in the, you know, in the foot for years considering, but they didn't, you know, I don't really, I just never been attracted to like the, you know, like jazz masters and Jaguars look, look pretty cool, I think. But by yeah. and large, I don't really like m- m- most of the, the bodies of guitars. I thought it was cool when uh, Annie Clark St. Vincent came out with that guitar. Cause I was like, finally someone's created a modern like yeah. uh, guitar that kind of like re- is referencing those like kind of angly looking surf guitars, you know? That's true. You know, that's true. I never really thought about it. I, and I mean, and before that, it's funny because before that she was using also like a silver tone or, you know, those early years, she was using just same kind right. of thing, not a Tiesco Del Rey, but something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Harmony. That's what, there's a Harmony Rocket, I believe. Yeah, that's what it was. Although I've played that Harmony and it it plays very well. <laughs> Does it really? <laughs> yeah, Does yeah, it really? it's a nice guitar. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, well, so, you know, where are you now with your guitar playing? And does it differ much from where you were back then, you know? God, I mean, where, that's a very uh, funny question. I mean, I, like, I think as I've grown, you know, post-Brainiac, I got more interested in, like, the craft of, like, songwriting and, you know, being in my own band, like, figuring figuring that part out. And at first I was just sort of like, oh, wow, you know, anything, everything in the kitchen sink and anything goes and like making the first record, I had no rules about like, you know, I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to use the, the Brainiac tunes, tunings and stuff like that. I can do, I can do whatever, including using the standard tuning that's, you know, but I quickly discovered like, you know, making a record and using whatever you want. It's like, okay, there's also like a practicality to like presenting these things live. Like, I don't want to be in a situation like Lee and Thurston where they, you know, I mean, they're obviously also like a band that have been around forever and they have like songs that are, you know, tunings for specific songs. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a slippery slope basically. So I was, I quickly kind of had to sort of like hone in that again, sort of like, Brainiac had and kind of like be a little more choosy as far as, you know, what, what tunings were going to be used. Um, but I mean, I think as time went by, like my process for guitar playing, like my interests in guitar playing somewhat remain the same. Like I said, I've never been that much into being like a, a riff player so much as like, or a solo player, you know, to be super dexterous and play a lot of notes, um, guitar. But uh, I've gotten a lot more into finger picking. It's sort of the extension of like what I've always admired about like John Fahey's playing. And so right. I've, I've done a lot of uh, sort of learning and unlearning of like, you know, what are kind of classical and, and sort of like bluegrass style wow. uh, finger picking. And mm-hmm. so that I wanted to just use, like, it's not very typical to use all five fingers when you pick. And so I basically have been trying to create my own way of, of doing that, you know, when I, when I finger pick. And it's not something that necessarily even really has shown up in records. It's just sort of like my right. own personal mission when I play guitar. That's inspiring that you challenged yourself uh, with that because, you know, guys like like you were saying with us, you know, with the backgrounds of punk rock music, it's definitely a uh, a gray area for me, too. And it was a, a weakness for me is, is finger picking because we don't you know, we didn't start with folk music. We didn't start with, you know, we started, you know, with Black Flag songs or whatever. So, you know, or or Iron Maiden songs um, and. I, I, that's inspirational, you know, that, uh, that's inspiring that you, you are, are doing that now, you know, and, and, and kind of going back. That's, that's great. I mean, it's interesting to see, like, I remember my, my, uh, second cousins, they were like, I remember when they first really started getting interested in music and when I would come through San Diego and they were like both super into Green Day and, but, and kind of 
just curious about guitar. And I, I, I remember like pulling out a guitar and being like, well, check this out, like showing them a power chord and then right. just being like, you can, like, you can play 95% of these Green Day songs, like just with yeah. this chord, you know? And, and that was like, and then now like, you know, my, the, the, the elder one, he's like a ripping guitar player. He's way better than I am technically, you know? And uh, wow. I just, I just love that. That was just like, the first foundation block was the same, you know, you could just be like, Hey, check this out. You know, it's, it's the keys to the kingdom. It's like every Ramon song, everything you learn this, you know, one, five, a, you know, learn this, learn this power chord and you're, you're going to be able to do it all. Do you think, uh, it's the gear or is it you? Uh, I mean, like, I definitely think, I definitely think tone is is a highly influential uh, specter here because right. you know when I first that, that same uh, summer of you know buying that I did before Brainiac, uh, I got this Music Man HD one thirty head and yeah. uh, and a four by twelve cabinet, and I mean, I still have this head. Wow. And, and it's, it's the sound, you know, like I, I haven't had it, uh, recapped or worked on in ages, but like, it's got like a, an overdrive section and I can just, you know, all I have to do is just kind of push that a little bit and it's doing the, it's overdriving the tubes in that, that way I can turn the master down way low and, you know, just sitting in your room, you can play if there's good tone. You can play some really, you know, mediocre, crappy stuff, and it, it, like, it's still, you know what I mean? It has, right, it has right. a good sound, and so it can make, it can make the most like chattery sounding playing sound exciting still. Whereas, right. you know, if you're just kind of playing, it's, 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 you know what I mean? It's, I, I think the tone can be, can really inspire longer playing, and therefore, like, kind of the ability sure. to to develop things inside of, of, of things like tone and stuff like that. Right. Because if you pick up a guitar and it plays like shit and your amp sounds like shit, you're going to be like, uh, you're not going to be inspired to write something cool. That's right. for sure. And or I do something compelling. People get, people get discouraged though, too. Like you can, you can not know any better and your, your guitar and your amp sound like crap and you, and like, you'll think that it's you. Like if you, you know what I mean? Right. If you didn't, if you didn't know the difference, you might just think like, I'll never, I'm never going to sound like Eddie Van Halen or whatever, but it's like, it's, it's, well, you probably won't, but it's also because your stuff doesn't sound that great to start. So. Right. Cause you're playing dog shit. I mean, I'm glad you said that because that opens up a really interesting conversation because you know, there's that old adage of like, Oh, it's not the music, you know, a poor musician blames the instrument. But if you're playing total dog shit, you know, this kid might be might be able to play, you know, War Pigs or whatever. But he's like when I was a kid, I could fit. I was I had an acoustic. I was like nine years old. I could fit inside the case, you know, and the action was an inch off the fretboard. So it was like that was a poor instrument, you know. And as soon as I got an electric guitar that was easier to play, I was able to play. You know, I was able to actually, you know, see a see something through. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I I fully agree with you. Um, I'm going to blame my instrument from now on. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's worth, uh, it's worth noting, I think. For I, sure. Uh, no, it totally is. Totally. But is. I, I feel like, you know, again, getting back to sort of like what you learn and what you know, like sometimes I like, it's, it's even similar with the, with the piano. And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, someone that you want to hire as your keyboard player. I've done it before. And I, I sure. like, I can learn parts to do a specific thing, but like you're, you know, I'm just not, I wasn't trained as a piano player. I'm, tr I'm kind of trying, like I'm reversing that now. I'm trying to like sort of do that on my own. Now we got a piano That's in our great. house uh, this past December, but, but I feel the same way sometimes. Like I can sit in front of a piano and just like kind of improvise the way that I would on guitar. And sometimes it's great. And I'm like, I'm so, it's very satisfying and sometimes like there's 
there's nothing there and i'm like i don't i don't like i'll be like i don't know anything like you know, i'll just be like i don't I have no i have no business playing guitar right now or whatever but <laughs> but i feel like i sort of like you know like i'm i'm interested in chords and you know it, it goes really really deep like i, I like complicated chords and sure. chord uh, progressions you know like in jazz and stuff like that but at the same time, I just feel like I, I like holding on to the idea that like technique and and uh, like sort of dexterity are highly overrated, you know, because right. it, how many times, you know, yeah, like how many how many times over the years has there been like the best guitar player in the world is is not in a good band, you know, or uh, always. Just, I mean, it's yeah. like long division, you know, it's like it's like knowing long division, essentially, you know, I. I was the lead guitar player in Guar for a long time. So I had to like oh, no really, yeah, I had to really like, you know, sweep arpeggios mm-hmm, and do all mm-hmm. that crazy shit. I have not learned, used that ever since. You know what I right. mean? Like oh, it's, wow. it's fun to sit and <laughs> do, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? It's, it's like, oh, it's like a party trick. Like, oh, I can do this. And at the end of like a, a rise against set, I'll get a chance to kind of go for it or whatever, just to, you know, whatever. But it, it, it makes no difference. It's like, if you can't, if you're not bringing something interesting or compelling to the music or if the song isn't good or whatever it might be, well, you're right. It's like why it doesn't matter. It's just, it's frivolity, you know, it's, it's fluff. It's really all it is. You know, you don't have to know it. that got away do you have like a guitar or a piece of gear or something that you've lamented you had to get rid of you got yes. stolen yes what I you do. Got? it's uh was a like a fender precision it was a fretless fender precision and oh. uh it was the guitar I, or the bass i played uh like my it was my second bass basically and i, I became very versed in using it and playing it. And I mean, I played like fret, fretless bass in like a punk band and wow. like, you know, my senior year in high school and at some point in New York and Enon, I, I ended up like selling it to a music shop for some money. And, uh, this like, it's a, this PV bass that I think the Guns N' Roses bass player and played at one point anyway like i, I don't mean the the one i'm just saying like it was the same yeah. style uh yeah. and i got it just to have another like just to have a bass bass but i was like okay well i can get i'm gonna get rid of this and i can get the money i need for the, the particular pinch that i was in and got this other right. crappy pv bass of which i have since sold but i remember this friend of mine telling me he didn't think that like he was like oh that that's like that's a Frankenstein. That's not like a real like fretless. And it sort of got in my mind. I mean, it didn't matter. The bass was doesn't matter if it's like, you know, sure. what you call it. It was an amazing bass. And uh, anyway, it was a custom bass, and now it's 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 gone. I've actually been very recently like it's funny that you mentioned that because I've been thinking since I'm you know like. Basically, I've been thinking about gifting myself a trying to replicate the same thing. I can get like you a, should. Yeah, you're worth it. You deserve it. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> you betcha. Have you ever tried to track that one down? Have you ever gone back to that light or called that guitar oh, shop? Oh gosh, that yeah. I mean, it was a, in New York. Main. I'm, if you've been to Brooklyn, it was uh, oh yeah, main drag music. So uh, oh, I like think I. It was the old main drag that was on Bedford, uh, and okay. they since since moved down. I know that place. A couple blocks into a bigger spot, but yeah, no, I don't know, man. And you know, it'd be cool to to do that same thing. Although I, the reason why I kind of started getting excited again about the prospect of just getting something was uh, Rick Lee, who who was in Enon and also Skeleton Key. He also plays uh, in my band now, Crooks on Tape. Uh, he, he just bought some like crappy, like $75, uh, bass that he found at a pawn shop. He was just like playing. He's like, Oh, this, this, whatever. It's like a no name brand, but it plays really nicely. 
So he bought it and took it back home. He's a handy guy. He he basically filed down the frets on the thing down to the you know the base of the fretboard. Yeah, and it's fucking amazing. It's an amazing fretless bass. I was like, man, I, you know, that's yeah. what I want to do. If I if I'm not going to get if I'm not going to try and buy like a Fender custom, which which I think is what I'm going to do. That's what right. I would do. Well, do you have you been back in that shop since this all happened? Oh yeah, but that was years oh, ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, New York high volume, like you know, there's always. I, I feel like even asking about it, they would just be like, "What year?" Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It was like well, over 15 years ago, you know. Sometimes with as oddball as stuff can be, it, you know, as well, it'll sit. It'll sit there forever, you know. If it's an, a fretless, and maybe somebody doesn't want a fretless, or whatever it might be, you know. I, I, I do pie in the sky shit all the time. Like you never yeah. know, dude. You know, like that's that's always been. My it's thing. true. You know, what's funny. One of the guitars I had, it was a, it was a Dan Electro I bought, also in a different shop in, in Manhattan, but. uh uh, you know, over the years, been friends with these guys. One of the guitar players, uh, Richie from who played in Manor Asterman. He wasn't. He's oh, not yeah. in the band now, but uh, he okay. he like came through and he's like, "Where'd you get that guitar?" And I was like, oh, "I bought it from this, you know, whatever Mojo Music in New York." And he's like, he was like looking it over, and he's like, "I own that guitar." before that. No that, that guitar used to be mine and i was like no oh shit. that's cool so you know you never know sometimes it was a very unique guitar it was a very like specific you right. know uh thing i'd never seen it before either. that's why i i, I bought it but you know what a fantastic band man or astro man jesus oh yeah that's cool god what a great band. The, total aside, but I remember reading one time that they did a thing where they, they had like, uh, there was the Man or Astro Man sort of variants. So there was different. Oh, yeah, the man, clone. The, clone, the clone clones, bands. yeah. yeah. And yeah. they were touring at the same time. There were like one that was all female and one was, I was like, that is fucking genius. You know, yeah, it's, it's so, so hard to do something original and they did it. Uh, so in closing, you know, I'll, I won't keep you on for too long, but this is a very broad question. But what's been the biggest revelation in your guitar playing life i don't know in my life i'm not sure i harkening back to what we were talking about in general just like i remember sort of as the like the 90s were coming to a close and there was it was an issue guitar player magazine that had like i think kurt cobain was on the cover and it was so i liked it. i was like thumbing through it and the article was basically just sort of that thing we were talking about where it was like you know, like it or not, Jimmy, sitting in your bedroom, practicing your scales and stuff like that, like, you can learn to play, you know, like, 64th notes or whatever, but, like, mm -hmm. the, tr but, like, songwriting trumps everything, basically, is what they're saying, like, you, they're sort of right. like using Kurt, Kurt Cobain to, to sort of spell out, like, you know, economy over, over, you know, just frivolity yeah yeah exactly yeah so i thought that was kind of funny i was like all right yeah that's true uh i mean now i guess for me now is as i i'm you know uh i i sit in between all these things i do stuff on computers and you know i i i'm producing things i have keyboard things plugins all this you know all this yeah. stuff samplers guitar bass you know piano and and so I guess I, I feel a little I feel less focused on on like any one thing in particular and it's it's still more about like this like the songs for me and or right. the worst part is I, I think for myself is just is just finishing things because the the thing that excites me the most is the initial spark of the idea. And that's like what's right. like when you when you find something new, it's like yes, like or, or something that you want to utilize in something. Once you, once I've done that, it's almost like, like I, I have a lot of stuff that's unfinished because it's just less exciting to finish them than it was to to have that initial like blast of excitement, you know. Right. So right. I don't know if that's a revelation or not, but that's that's kind of like where my where what I'm excited about. I still think is. I think it absolutely is. I think I think a revelation is is what makes you excited. What you know, after guys like you and I have been doing this for a very long time and to still get excited about something, I think that is a revelation. So I, uh, I, I, I love that. And, uh, man, it was so great talking to you. And I'm I'll so say, uh, lastly, happy. I guess I'll just say, uh, you know, working with Dan and Caribou, 
you know, and he's oh. a, he's got a very funny process for the way he he like records his music because you know he's like an accomplished keyboardist. He's a drummer. He doesn't really like. I don't think he would ever say he can play stringed instruments very well. I don't really think he does it at all anymore. But like you know, when he did, it, I thought it was I thought it was amazing. But you know, he can he can play music, but he's just sort of his whole thing is that he likes he likes working in computers and he likes you know sort of manipulating MIDI and on the last That's record right. he had a, he had a, a a friend of ours who's an incredible guitar player and he's actually known more for his saxophone player uh, but wow. anyway he he brought him in to like you know be the sort of guest musician on his record and he did play a bunch of sax and he played a bunch of like really incredible guitar stuff but he did it through like they they Put in like it was a, through a MIDI MIDI guitar, so it was all coming out as audio and also MIDI. And I think that for him, he was he was just excited to have all that information there. So he didn't. It wasn't necessarily about using the takes that were like analog guitar. Like he he like right. took the MIDI from this guitar playing and like wow. changed the sounds or changed like whatever whatever aspect that he wanted to because it is limitless and he's he that's the way he sort of screws around with stuff. So I find that kind of stuff inspiring. I'm not really there. I don't have, I don't have a MIDI, you know, pickup on it or anything for any guitars that I have, but I just, you know, that was kind of like another next level thing where I was like, all right, that's, that's pretty badass. Well, that's above my pay grade too. And it is, you know, at this stage (laughs) of the game, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's, it's so inspiring and so cool to get, uh, to get wowed, you know, to get introduced to something new, you know, at this, you know, and to see that there are things like that, like the whole mini world and, you know, computers and, you know, plugins and everything else. I mean, I know I stay in my lane. I can do a bit of it, but there's so many things that are just like to this day. I'm like, I, I, but it kind of, for me, I don't know for you, for me, it, it's those sorts of things that keep pushing me, you know, I'll never learn it all, but there's always something to learn. And so, that's the reason to get up and, and, and to still try and to still, you know, try to create and try to write. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool, John, man. Hey, thank you so much for doing this podcast. I really appreciate it. And it, I know it's just nerdy guitar bullshit, but it's, uh, you know, it's ah, all no, I it's do. Cool. So. I wasn't, it wasn't quite that nerdy really. I was, I was worried <laughs> we, you were going to start asking me about like, you know, hammer-ons and hammer-offs or <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I don't know. No, I just wanted to more talk about your, you know, Tiesco Del Rey guitar, you know. Right on, right on. Yeah. So, all right. Well, well, pleasure talking to you too, man. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk soon. Man. So, I'd like to think that I have a new friend. I'm going to say that I have a new friend. I think if we're in the same area, we might text one another. Hey, dude, I'm here. Let's hang out. Let's commiserate. Let's talk about shit. But uh, what a talented person is John Schmerzel, man. And, you know, I got to admit, of course, if, you know, you've been a guitar player since the 90s, or you know who this guy is with his amazing work from Brainiac to... Enon, which I was saying Enon, because I'm from Texas and I have a dumb accent. Enon. Hi, Enon. But anyway, Enon. And now with Caribou, the guy just, man, all of his bands are amazing. And what a talented guy. And I don't know. If I, I thought that was a great interview. Like I said, I think I've made a new friend. And I've hopefully made new friends with all of you listening. At least I'd like to thank all of you and call you my friend. And I also appreciate the folks over at MXR and Jim Dunlop. Thank you guys for supporting us, letting us do what we do here, believing in us, and uh, making your amazing products. If you're a guitar player, bass player, musician, chances are you already have their products. And if you don't, then you should. So once again, thanks you guys for showing up. Thanks for listening. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. And we're going to keep doing them. So you keep listening. Thank you guys so much. Okay, so John Schmerzel, I'm going to feel remiss if I didn't leave you with some of uh, John Schmerzel's wonderful guitar playing. This is the song Natural Disasters. And just this intro, this intro guitar, these jabs that he's doing, sort of atonal and so creative, you know, and and it's hard to compare it to anybody. It's a hundred million percent John Schmerzel. What an amazing player. 
So check this out. Natural Disasters off the High Society record by John Schmerzel's band, Enon. Show. Nobody has to know It's just a natural disaster that you 